You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. It is always, it is always a privilege um, continuing with our wildfire series and uh, you know, I said earlier that, um, you know, we preach, we don't preach for information. When we're preaching on a Sunday morning, uh, the way that I always describe it is like we're trying to put another brick in the wall. We're trying to put another brick in the foundation of this community. Um, so we're not preaching for information. It's not like, check, yes, I know about X because so-and-so preached about it. That's not what we're shooting for. What we're shooting for is Transformation. And so we've been preaching on wildfire. A little bit of wildfire is better than no fire. And uh, the bottom line is we're going to keep preaching wildfire until there is more wildfire present in our ranks, right? It's like we're preaching for transformation. We actually want to see lives change. We want to see people step up into another level of the anointing, another level of His divine enabling power. Otherwise, it's just information. And I think in our culture... It's kind of like, you know, do you know how to change a, a, a wheel? Yes, I know how to do it. You may never, ever have done it, but yeah, you've, you've yeah, I can, I know it. But the bottom line is, it, it's like what we know we do, or what we do we know. And so we're talking about walking into stuff in a very practical way, rather than just knowing about something. And so when it comes to a little bit of wildfire is no fire, well, it's better than no fire. A little bit of wildfire is no fire. A little bit of wildfire is better than no fire. I think what we're saying is actually there's something for us to step into as a community, to step into more of the anointing and more of the divine enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And so um, I wanted to say this, 10 in 10, we've been talking about 10 church plants or 10 sites or congregations in the next 10 years, which is now 9 in 9 actually about. 99, um, is absolutely impossible without the divine enabling power of the Holy Spirit, without the anointing of the Holy Spirit to, to give us impetus. I get, I get nervous when we read the Bible, and our conclusion after reading the Bible is that we need to work harder. Because then usually what it means is that we've made ourselves the hero instead of Jesus, right? And we've put it back onto our own humanistic self-effort. And the bottom line is that uh, when Jesus speaks Matthew 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28 could not have happened without Acts 2, without the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. If they, if they had the mandate to go to all nations without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it would have left them in a place of humanism and, and, and kind of self-effort. And let me tell you, I would have been very surprised if they got beyond Jerusalem. But actually, it's the anointing and empowering of the Holy Spirit that, in a sense, gives them the impetus to, to go from Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's the empowering of the Holy Spirit that drives them, in a sense, that draws them. And, uh, you know, I was thinking as I was preparing about for this message, I was thinking back to a time, a key time in South Africa. We had a leadership gathering, training time, about 4,500 people. 
Um, it was a real privilege to be there, to be honest, because probably about 10,000 people wanted to be there. But literally every church was allocated a certain number of seats. It wasn't just a free-for-all. You kind of had to be allocated a seat to get there. And I remember Tyron's dad at the time just saying, who amongst you feel like God is calling you to be a part of a church plant or lead a church plant in the next 12 months? And it's not an exaggeration to say that out of 4,500 people, probably 4,200 people put up their hands and said, yes, we're going. That same time, out of a time, it was actually pretty wild, out of a time of wild worship, actually God led us into a time of silence. And 4,500 people were silent for about 20 minutes, which is a miracle in and of itself, right? I mean, that would have been, that's just, I mean, you could, have, you could hear a pin drop, but after 20 minutes, all of us heard the sound of angels' voices just singing over us. Four and a half thousand people's ears opened at the same time. But let me tell you, it's those kind of supernatural encounters that provide the impetus. And so from that season in South Africa, guys scattered around the world, um, planting churches all over the world. And it's, the, it's that, those kind of supernatural God encounters that actually provide the impetus for us to, to do, in a sense, what God's calling us to do. Sometimes we want to say, like, God, you know, give me a mighty word, you know what I mean? But, or let me have a powerful encounter. But it's like, well, if you're not doing anything, if there's no, if there's no vision, if there's no pressing forward for the bigger picture, Why? Why would God even do it? Do you know what I mean? The anointing of the Holy Spirit comes. It's His divine enabling power in order for us to do what He's called us to do. And I'm saying that for us at this time because I feel like there is a season in God for us right now where God is saying the fields are wide unto harvest. Pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers. That's you and I. Just nudge the person next to you and say, you're a worker. God is trying to send you out, not in a humanistic way, but empowered through, you know, empowered through the life and presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's that that I want to kind of lean into this morning. Turn with me to John uh, chapter 1. And it's interesting because I wanted to just start looking, you know, looking at the testimony of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the Elijah who was to come. He was the forerunner. He was the one that came before Jesus. He was the one preparing the way for Jesus, right? And so uh, the voice crying in the wilderness. And this is what he says. He says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Talking about Jesus, the Son of God, alive before the creation of the world, but now Emmanuel, God with us. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. John's testimony really pivots on two things. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It pivots on redemption. Here is the one who will redeem, right? But more than that, or secondly, here is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. These two pivotal points, right? He's going to redeem, but he's also going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And not even just that, right? Matthew goes on a little further. And he says this. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And with fire. Baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. We need more of the fire of God, right? I'm not talking about hype. Hype is something different. Hype is in the emotions, you know what I mean? We're talking about the fire of God. You know, I love, I love Songs 8. It says, mature love burns like a blazing fire. And it says, it says, many waters cannot quench love. Many waters speaks of troubles, right? Speaks of difficulty, speaks of challenges. It says, mature love burns like a blazing fire. Many waters cannot quench that love. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a fire of God that burns within us, that nothing quenches, regardless of situation and circumstance, regardless of opposition, nothing quenches it. And it's that kind of fire that we're talking about propelled, in a sense, those early disciples to the nations, right? That burning fire that would not be quenched. And it's that that we're talking about this morning. That's, that's part of our, in a sense, our normal Christianity. That's the norm. For those of you that were at our leadership summit, you've heard some of this before. But I want to encourage you because we're kind of trying to lay in the, the foundation. We're trying to lay in the bricks that'll set the footing for what God wants to do in us, but more than in us, through us. What God wants to do in us, He wants to do such a mighty work in us that it'll propel us to the nations, right? That'll give us an inheritance in the nations. We came to the city for an inheritance in this city. It was the life and power of the Holy Spirit, in a sense, that propelled us here for an inheritance here, for churches here, for the kingdom here, so that here could have an inheritance in the nations of the world. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And I'm trying to set in just kind of uh, just a basis, a, a, a kind of a foundation. It's so, it's so often what happens is that when it comes to the life and power of the Holy Spirit, because it is to some degree subjective, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit deals with us each individually. It's easy to, to not be rigorous about the underlying theology, the underlying doctrine. And what happens is it actually leaves us vulnerable. When we take subjective experience and we allow that to shape our thinking, actually we want the Word to shape our thinking, and to shape our expectation around the life and power of God. Make sense? And so there is a humility required when we come to the Word. You know, James says this, it says, 
you know, humbly accept the words planted in you, which has the power to save you. Sozo, the word, the Greek word there is sozo, to save, to heal, and to deliver. There's a humility that we have to come and say, okay, I'm going to bow my knee to the word. Let the word set the bar. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do in order to bring my life up to that bar. Does that make sense? So we're looking at the life and power of the Holy Spirit. We're looking at this kind of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts chapter 2, um, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, it says they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. It sets a precedent. It sets a precedent, right? Acts chapter 2 sets a precedent. In other words, it happens once without any real expectation that this is now normal and is going to happen again. But this God encounter, this breaking out of the Holy Spirit, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit sets the precedent. It's important because, in a sense, it's the first time. And so what I want to encourage you is that we have the advantage, or sometimes the disadvantage, actually, of being able to look backwards, whereas they were looking forwards, right? So all of what we read as history is their future. And so at this point, their only bar, in a sense, their only expectation, their only understanding of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was is Acts chapter 2. That's their only expectation. They didn't know anything else at that point. And so it's, it's intriguing when you, when you look forward through their eyes, through their perspective, right? So, this is, so, so Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says to them, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. This was it. This was the power from on high. This was Jesus baptizing them in the Holy Spirit and fire, right? In this case, literal fire. It sets a precedent. It's not enough, though, to have the precedent to say, okay, well, that's what we should expect all the time. That's not, in a sense, normal. You can't expect that to be the normal. It has happened elsewhere. I don't know if you've ever read the book by Maltari out of Indonesia. So the Indonesian revival in the 70s, which most of us probably don't know much about, but called Like a Mighty Wind, and actually, in a small little village in Indonesia, they actually had fire break out to the point where actually the, the local fire engine came. But it wasn't a real fire. It was a fire of the Holy Spirit. And, and it literally broke out. I mean, revival broke out through those islands, the Indonesian islands. Very interesting book to read if you haven't read it. Like a Mighty Wind. Sets a precedent, but it's not necessarily a pattern. We don't expect every time we get together that little fire, tongues of fire are going to settle on everybody's head, right? It would be great. <laughs> I wish we had a little more of that. Um, but it's a precedent, not a norm. And so what we're looking for is we're looking for pattern. We're looking through the Word to say, okay, God, let's set the pattern. Why? Because the, set, the pattern starts to in a sense, move us towards this idea of norm. Okay, this is normal. So, let's move along. Acts chapter 10. Acts 
So we're looking for pattern. Twice could be a coincidence, but three times is a pattern, right? Twice could be a coincidence, three times is a pattern. So Acts chapter 10, it says, while Peter was speaking these words, verse 44, it says, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even on the Gentiles, whole new, in a sense, community of people. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stick around for a couple of days, I guess, to explain what was going on. Again, they're looking forward, right? The norm, this breakout of the Holy Spirit, the release of the gift of tongues and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the prophetic released. That's twice, right? That's two. So we're looking we're looking for a third. We're going to skip over Samaria, and we're going, to, we're going to jump to Ephesus. So in Ephesus, Acts chapter 18, and this is just before the key section. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and spoke with great fervor, and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew about the baptism of John. So he only knew about the baptism of repentance taught by John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, this, this key apostolic couple, Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So it's interesting that he was a highly learned man. He's a very sharp guy intellectually. He connects with these guys in Ephesus, starts to teach them about Jesus. They get saved, but that's it, in a sense. All they've got, in a, in a sense, is this repentance, uh, this baptism of repentance. When Paul arrives, when Paul arrives in Apollos, uh, in, in Ephesus, Acts 19, verse 1, he says this, he says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Sometimes I think that is such a critical question. Did you receive the anointing and the empowering of the Holy Spirit when you believed? God's plan is that it's at the same time as you get saved. But actually in this context, it was because of what? Because of ignorance. Apollos didn't even know. And so Priscilla and Aquila come and they teach Apollos, and they say, hey, let me explain a little bit more adequately. And so what's intriguing is that you see Paul acts. Paul acts to reset the norm. So what's been normal up until that point, Pentecost, the Gentiles, you know, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts 18, in a sense, the norm drops off. Why? Because Apollos is ignorant. He doesn't know anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's clueless. He doesn't even know enough to teach him. So when Paul arrives in Ephesus, they're like, we don't even know there is a Holy Spirit. I mean, that is pretty serious level of ignorance, right? And so Paul immediately steps in, and he resets the norm. And so what happens? It says they're baptized, 
So did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Paul asked, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. They are disciples, right? They are disciples of Christ. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. So they, they baptized into this kind of expectation of Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. What's happening? The norm is reset. Paul acts deliberately to reset the norm. And so you see the, the way I, I built that slide, you know, the, the orange line, the norm drops off because Apollos is ignorant. But Paul acts deliberately to reset it. Say, hey, this is the norm. What have we got? That's three. That's a pattern. Three times. And it's amazing that, that in a sense, the Word of God is sufficient. The Word of God is sufficient. Three encounters that it gives us enough detail about to know that this is the pattern when the Holy Spirit comes on you, they're released in tongues. They're released in a supernatural language. And the enabling power of the Holy Spirit comes on them to work through them. The gifts are released, the prophetic. It's amazing how it's always tongues and prophecy. Tongues and prophecy. Tongues and prophecy. Three times. The pattern is set. Let me ask you this. Is that enough? For us to say that is normal for every single believer. Is it enough to have a pattern? Actually not. It's actually not. There's one more thing needed. Let me ask you this. Like, why you got your shoes on? Why are you wearing shoes this morning? Because <laughs> they're sick. <laughs> they're sick shoes. <laughs> Because I can think of three encounters in the Word where God says to a person, the ground where you're standing is holy, take off your shoes. It's a pattern. But we don't expect that to be normal, right? So what we're looking for is we're looking for the Word to teach us specifically about that. And it's, so it's the pattern on top of, in a sense, doctrine sets the norm. Sets the normal bar. There's, no, there's nothing in the New Testament that says when you come to worship, you need to take off your shoes. Right? So we don't take it as a norm. We take it as precedent and pattern. Yes, the Holy Spirit might say to you, hey, take off your shoes. And it's not totally out there because we've seen it before in the Word. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if He starts to talk to you through your your donkey, then, I mean, it's also happened. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but when you hear, want to hear from God, you don't go looking for a donkey, right, so you can hear God. I mean, precedent and pattern. So we're looking for norm. And what's interesting is that in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and he teaches. And actually, what he teaches is sufficient to set the norm. So let's, let's look at what he said. So in 2 verse 14, it says, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. 
How many of you have been in a church meeting? I remember some encounters over the years where we've had to drive people home because they were not fit to drive their car, just drunk under the life and power of the Holy Spirit. We need a little more of that, right? It's only nine in the morning, and then he says this, no, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, he says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Let me ask you this. Who of you this morning is not a son or a daughter? That means everybody. Nudge the person next to you and say, that means you. <laughs> it says, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. It's interesting that Peter stands up and he teaches and he says, this is for absolutely everybody. This is for every person that bows their knee to Jesus. So he sets the norm in terms of person. You are not disqualified. You are not the one person who God does not want to release in the gifts. It's not designed for some superhero. The man of power for the hour. You know, I mean, you've seen the TV shows, right? It's not for select people. It's for every single person that has bowed their knee to Jesus. This is the norm for every believer. To live and walk in a very natural way. Supernaturally natural. Not some woo kind of weird stuff, right? but just supernaturally natural, naturally supernatural. God never intended our Christian walk to be walked in our heads. He did not say those who are led by your head are the sons of God. He said, no, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. God calls us to be led by the Spirit. It's deeper than our intellect. In fact, it stands up under our intellect sometimes. Sometimes there are things that we say, this can't be true. But something stands up inside you and says, yes, it is. That, that the functioning of that intuition, it's like you know that you know that something's wrong, but your head doesn't understand, right? It's talking about the life and power of the Holy Spirit within us. He goes on to say, I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's interesting that he puts two parameters on it. He says every single person, right, from now, from Pentecost, you see the little fire, from Pentecost until I come back. So he puts a time frame on it as well. He doesn't just put a people kind of parameter on it. He puts a time parameter on it. And he says the last days, we are in the last days. The last days started on the day of Pentecost and will end when Jesus comes back. And he's saying actually in this last days, in this period, I will pour out my spirit on, your, on sons and daughters. Let me tell you, that means you and I, that means everybody from the day of Pentecost, every believer from the day of Pentecost until now, 
God wants to pour out His Holy Spirit on you and, and pour out, in a sense, His anointing and His divine enabling power, changing us, in a sense, from natural beings into supernatural beings. Salvation is a supernatural event. You cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. But sometimes it's just, we, we live in just, uh, in a sense, a measure of faith. It's like what we have faith to live for, what we have faith, in a sense, what we know about, what we know to expect. And the challenge, the challenge this morning for us, the reason why I said at the beginning we need to humble ourselves before the Word, is we've set precedent, we've set norm, right? The, the Word is clear, this is it. As soon as you have an expectation and a delivery that is less, what happens? You introduce stress into a relationship, right? You get a contractor to your house to come do something, and here's your expectation, and the delivery is here. What happens? Stress. Your walk with God, your walk with some other, another person in, in your relationship. You're expecting this, and you get this. Stress. The Word introduces a level of stress into our lives. But let me tell you, it's actually a good stress. It challenges us to raise our faith, to raise our level of expectation, to fit the norm that God makes clear in the Word. You know, where, where does it leave you if you're not released in the gift? Where does it leave you if you're not... Um, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you're not walking in those, well, it leaves you with a level of stress, right? Because it's like, here's the expectation from the Word, and this is where I am. Well, what do you do? Well, actually, it's time to press into God, right? To reset, in a sense, to allow your mind to be renewed and to reset your expectation, to press into God. And so I want to land with one scripture, and it's Luke 11, and it's Jesus speaking, verse 9, and it says, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Interesting, those words are all present continuous. In other words, it's ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And then it goes on to say, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There's a, such a simple statement of faith there in the word. Ask and keep on asking. If the stress is introduced, then what's the, what's the response? Go back to the Father and ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And the Word says, it will be open to you. It will be open to you. Statement of faith, expectation, right? The Father will give the gift that He promised. Andrew Murray, who is a revivalist, a South African revivalist from years ago, said this, this may be our most important prayer. Father, give me the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Give me the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I know for myself, just over the last, last number of months, some of you know, had some, some, some health issues. 
and came away, came out of this season saying, God, um, if I'm going to do what you call me to do, you're going to have to give me a double anointing. You're going to have to give me more of your Holy Spirit. Otherwise, there's just no chance that this is ever going to happen. And so I want to encourage you. I was really encouraged on a number of levels. Sorry, Derek. I was, I was really encouraged because I was thinking that during the week. I walked in here on that Sunday morning, and you guys actually all prayed for me. I don't know if you remember me being prayed for over there on the side here. Just that week, I said, God, I need a double portion of your Holy Spirit. You guys prayed for me over here. Someone walked up to me after that meeting and said, Andrew, I felt like God gave me a word. He's going to give you a double portion. That's the kind of community we're talking about, right? Prophecy, gifts of the Holy Spirit released, poured out.